Well, hey everyone, welcome to our last week of a great sermon series here at our church about forgiveness. Uh, hopefully you got a stone when you came into church today. Someone asked me if those were for throwing at me if I was talking too long. They are not, just so we're clear about that up front. Um, really glad that you're here. If uh, you've been tuning into this series for the past few weeks and I have offended you in any way, yes, because that's been my, my goal. Uh, when I opened the Bible and studied all the 128 passages that mention the word forgiveness, it dawned on me that the common thread was that almost all of them are offensive to the way that people naturally think. Uh, the way that we treat each other when sin gets in the middle of relationships, it's, it's so different in our lives than how the Bible describes it. So let me give you a, a quick review, just in case I haven't offended you yet, so we can all get on the same page. Uh, in week one of this series, we talked about what God wants us to do when someone sins against us. When they don't love us well, but they pick up some sinful stone, they throw it at us, whether it's small or sharp and scarring or something that really crushes and wounds us. What God wants us to do is not to reach down and pick up the stone to throw it back. That's vengeance. And God doesn't want us to pick up the stone and hold on to it, that, that bitter memory in the story we keep retelling ourselves. That's, that's pure bitterness. No, instead what God wants all of us to do, no matter how ugly or big the sin, is that. To just let the stone alone. Not once, but day after day after day after day after day after day until the day that we die, no matter who it was and what they did, God calls us to let the stone alone. And that's super offensive to our sense of justice and fairness and what's right. And if that weren't offensive enough, in week two, God told us before we even think about how we're going to treat the person that hurt us, he wants us to look up to him and remember how often we've thrown a stone. To remember that the biggest sinner in the situation is not the person who hurt us, it's those of us who have hurt God. Jesus told a story trying to prove that we've sinned against God seven billion times. And when that truth hits you, it offends your sense of goodness and of self-righteousness. But before you despair, God says something else that's kind of offensive. He promises that at the cross of Jesus, our Heavenly Father decided to leave every single stone alone. That if you trust in Jesus, God's not getting back at you. He doesn't feel bitterness towards you. He doesn't just officially love you. He actually likes you. He delights in you. He smiles when he thinks about you. He rejoices over you. And that's so offensive to our own sense of worthiness. Who are we to be loved that much by God? But that's what he says. And then last week, if our offense meter wasn't already off the charts, God taught us what to do with these empty hands. And he says that when we're leaving that stone alone, when we're not getting back at the people who hurt us, we shouldn't just sit there. We should actually get up and use those hands to serve. Love your enemies, Jesus said. Turn the other cheek, he taught. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Overcome the evil that they did by doing good to them. That was a crazy offensive teaching. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. They absolutely don't deserve it. 
but Jesus isn't in the deserving business. He's in the business of grace and of mercy and of unconditional love. Now today, as we wrap up this discussion, I want to talk about one last offensive thing. And it's a feeling and a phrase that comes up all the time in our church family. It's the phrase, I can't forgive myself. Sometimes in life, and many times even in the Christian church, people feel that feeling, I, I simply can't forgive myself. I want to talk to all of you today about that. Because did you know that many of you, many, many people at our church, think that after all of my theological education, I don't know very much about God? Despite the fact that I went to four years of Bible college and then four years of seminary and then six years of grad school, despite the fact that there's just really one book that I study almost every hour for all of my job, many of you think that I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to God. Here's what you do. The text comes in on my phone late at night. Or I wake up in the morning and there's an email from you in my inbox. Pastor, can we talk? And I've been around long enough to know that when an email is really short, something bad has happened. And so I schedule a time as fast as we can meet. You buzz in at the church door and I try to start the conversation with a smile, but you're not smiling. Uh, In fact, you don't really look me in the eye. And you go into my office and we sit down and I ask you what's going on. And you tell me about this. Pastor, I messed up. I sinned and it's bad. I hurt her so badly. I drank again and I used, I clicked, I relapsed. I said things, I did things, I flirted, I crossed a line, I cheated. Pastor, I I sinned. And in those conversations, I always say the same thing. First, I say, thank you. It's hard to talk about your sin. Thank you for not hiding, for not isolating, for not running away from the church. Thank you for being here today. Took a lot of courage. And then I say this. There's so much we need to talk about. There's so many consequences to the choice that you made. But before we get to any of that, there's one thing I need to tell you because it is the most important thing. It's actually the reason that God brought me into this room today. So listen, here it is. God forgives you. And I grab my Bible to prove it. I open up to a passage. I got a hundred of them memorized. And I find the one that I think fits with you. And I read it. And I say, isn't it amazing? Even now, even for this, God forgives you. And that's the moment when many of you act like I have no idea what I'm talking about. Instead of stopping and saying, amen. Thank you, Pat. That's exactly right. Thank you, Pat. You know what you say? But, but it's bad, Pastor. But I'll never forgive myself, Pastor. 
Because there's something in the human heart that when we really mess something up, when we throw a really hurtful stone, it doesn't matter who we're talking with. It doesn't matter the education, the degree, the calling. We just don't think it's true. And so often we feel like we just, we can't move on. You don't have to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you have felt that way in life or known someone who's felt that way. It's not just that they threw a stone and they take it seriously like God does. It's that they can't let it go. They drag the past into the present. In those quiet moments of the night, they've confessed it a thousand times, but still they, they feel guilty and distant and far from God. Now that could happen to any of you. But I think if, if you have a pen, I want to tell you three times in life where you're especially susceptible to feeling unforgivable. If you're taking notes, uh, let's write these three things down. I think that forgiving yourself is hardest when, first of all, you're close. When you're close. When you breathe the same air as the person you hurt, it's really hard to forgive yourself. You know, if you're in some random comment section of some random social media thread and you do something sinful, you, you probably don't stay up tossing and turning at night. If some guy's an idiot to you when you're driving on the highway and you react in a sinful way, 10 years later, you're probably not thinking about the one time you beeped your horn. But when you're close with someone, when you share the same bed, when you live under the same roof, when you can see the impact it's had on that person, when you say to your dad, I, I hate you, when you say to your mom, I don't love you, when you're in a relationship and you say something to win an argument and it's ugly and it's wrong and you, you see the person wince when you say it, um, it, it's hard to forgive yourself. When it's with your roommates, when it's with someone that you're dating, when it happens to someone at church, you, you know, it's hard to move, but you see their face so often and their face is just a reminder of the damage that you did. That's the first reason. The second reason is that it's hard to forgive yourself when you are compassionate. Some people kind of have selfish hearts. They think about themselves, the people they hurt don't matter much. But if you're a compassionate person, if you hurt when other people hurt, the worst kind of hurt is the hurt that you caused. When it dawns on you that this person is in pain, they cry at night, they cry out to God in their prayers, and you're the cause of it, that can kill you inside. This happens to some people who are going through the 12 steps of recovery. You know, you're caught up in an addiction, you're doing whatever for the next high, the, the next binge. And when, when God snaps you out of that and you get to that step where you make amends, it, it just hits you how, how much damage your stones have caused. You know, where you were getting drunk in your 20s, how many nights of sleep did your mother lose? How many times would the dinner table have been great if grandma and grandpa didn't have to worry incessantly about their grandkid? And if you have a compassionate heart and you think about all the, the time, the money, the energy, the joy that was robbed because of your choices, it's, it's hard to forgive yourself. 
How do you move on when some really good people went through some really hard times because of you? And finally, maybe most powerfully, it's hard to forgive yourself when there are consequences. When the stone that you threw doesn't just bounce off and heal quickly from a bruise, but it cuts, it scars, it leaves someone limping, uh, it is so hard to forgive. You know, when, when you look at pornography or you cross the line with a, a coworker, when there's infidelity and there's all this deep damage, trust has been destroyed and you, you can't get it back just by saying sorry. When you did something crazy sexually and it was fun, but then there was a pregnancy and, and now there's a kid, like a, an innocent kid who didn't get to choose what kind of home they've grown up in, that's hard. When there was a divorce and, and other kids have two bedrooms and two toothbrushes and two schedules and two parenting styles and you know that you were, at least in part, one of the reasons that it didn't work and you see your kids struggling to adjust and it just you know, kills you that there are consequences and it's not just life, it was kind of you. And you put just one of these two or all three together. And, and I get why it happens, why the pastor can open the Bible and say, no, here's what it says. And your heart struggles. And you wonder if God could really forgive a person like you. If that's happened to you, or if you know someone that's happening to, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here today. Because as we wrap up this discussion of forgiveness, God is going to tell us exactly what to do when we feel like we can't forgive ourselves. And I want to make you two final promises today. My second promise is that before I say amen, it's going to be really good. I think many of you will smile, laugh, you will cry for joy. But I also want to promise you that before we get there, I'm going to have to tell you perhaps the most offensive thing I've said all month. So, is that okay with you? All right, I warned you. All right, grab your pens because here's the first thing I need to tell you today. The first offensive truth is that not forgiving yourself, a lack of self-forgiveness is pure arrogance. It is insanely arrogant to hold on to your own sin. You might feel like you're being very humble when you hold on to that thing. You know, I'm taking sin seriously and I have no right to rejoice after the damage that I did. But when you hold on to this stone, you are perhaps being the most arrogant you have ever been in your life. Here's why. If something happened a year ago, let's say, um, you got behind the wheel drunk and there's damage and consequence, you were unfaithful in your marriage, if you relapsed into an, you got an abortion, whatever it was, a year ago, this thing happened and you just can't forgive yourself. Here's my question. What do you think that God thought of you the day before that sin? If something happened and it was so bad that God couldn't possibly love you, why do you think he loved you the day before that happened? 
Some of you grew up in churches like I did where we confess Sunday after Sunday, I confess that I'm sinful, sinful from birth. I don't deserve the presence of God. But did you actually believe it? Or was it that one stone that finally made you unworthy of the presence, forgiveness, and love of God? No, if you can't forgive yourself, here's what I'd say to you today. At least be biblical about it. If you want to think that something is so bad that God must have turned his face away from you, then don't just pick and choose the things that you think are bad. Agree with all the things that God said are bad. So if you can't forgive yourself because you paid for her abortion, then don't forgive yourself for speeding on the interstate. Because God hates that too. If you can't forgive yourself for the affair that made your family life so complicated, then don't forgive yourself for the attitude you had toward your parents during your teenage years. Because God hates that too. If you're going to beat yourself up for your legal record, for the drinking problem you had 10 years ago that made things complicated with your family, then don't forgive yourself for the second look you made in the mirror at that girl at the gym or the way you worried about your uncle's cancer or whatever sin you commit. If, if you want to take sin seriously, that's fine. Just be biblical about it. In other words, I, I'm encouraging you today to think like King David thought. About nine years ago, I was in Israel, and in the city of Jerusalem, I took this picture. This is where I'm standing, the place where King David's ancient palace was, about 1,000 BC. And some of you know the story of the horrendous stone that got thrown from that very spot. See, one night, King David looked down at the, the poor people in the village below, and he saw a woman naked, a married woman. And he looked twice. He lusted three times. And then he leveraged his royal power and he got her pregnant. And he tried to cover up his sin, but he couldn't. So he had her husband, one of David's own faithful soldiers, murdered. He threw a massive stone. And he tried to cover it up, but because God is God, he wouldn't let that happen. He dragged David's stone into the light. He sent a prophet to confront him. David realized finally how bad his sin actually was, and he confessed, I've sinned against God. And God being God, he said, first thing out of his lips, like mine, you're forgiven. You're not going to die forever in hell. And later on, David wrote a song about that experience about this terrible thing that he did, the adultery and the murderer. And the song is shocking. And let me show you why. Psalm 51 says this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You got to have mercy on me, God. David said, you, you, you can't treat me like I deserve your, I failed. Your love has to be unfailing or I'm not going to make it. And what was his rationale? Because I was sinful since last year? Nope. I've been sinful since birth. 
God, you need to be merciful. Not because I had sex with that woman, because my parents did. And what came out was someone who was in deep need of unconditional love. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Maybe you've thrown some major stones like David did. Then think how David thought. The sin is a problem, but it's not the only problem. If God's going to have trouble forgiving, it's going to be with all of you. Not just with that one thing you did. Oh, and one more thing. Sorry, I'm not done with the arrogance part yet. Do you know why it's so arrogant not to forgive yourself? Because you're telling God that he's an idiot. And imagine if you weren't sitting with me in my office, you were sitting right here with God the Father and Jesus himself. And imagine if you laid out every stone, you, you said, God, I, I, I sinned. I, I, I sinned against you. I, I caused so much trouble. I, I don't even know what I was thinking. Why did I do that? It was so stupid. And, and God says, I know. I, I, I know, really. But here's the thing. I forgive you. And you say, but God, I mean, do you know how much I hurt her? Do you know how, I mean, you should have seen the look on her face when I confessed to God. And he says, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm God. I kind of know better than you, but listen, I forgive you. And you say, but I just, I can't forgive myself. Wouldn't be right. And the father looks over at Jesus like, what do we do with this guy? So they, they tag team, right? Father taps out. Jesus comes in. And he puts his hands on the table. He says, hey, do you know what these are? Uh, yeah, those are your scars, Jesus. Well, where'd they come from? From your cross, Jesus. And do you remember what I prayed when I was on the cross? Oh, yeah, Jesus, you said, Father, forgive them. Yeah, I did. And do you remember what I said after that? Uh, Yeah, yeah. You said, it's finished. Exactly, Jesus says. It is finished. Here's the proof. And you grab Jesus by the hands and you say, but is it? Wouldn't that be crazy? say to Jesus. But when we don't forgive ourselves, that's exactly what we're saying. That it's not finished. That I have to punish myself. I have to beat myself up for what happened. Jesus said, no. It's forgiven. Don't be arrogant. God knows. So let the stone alone. And that brings us to our second offensive truth. Are you glad that you came to church today? You're about to be. Let me leave you with this. The second offensive truth is that forgiveness is God's fact. And it is not your feeling. (laughs) I say it's offensive because we live in a culture where how you feel matters more than anything else. False. (laughs) I'm actually really grateful. So I was raised in the church and I was raised in one of those churches 
where no one showed any emotion for 60 minutes every Sunday. And have you ever been to a church like that? Like, this was our face all the time. Until there was a potluck. And they were like, hey, yeah, that's, really <laughs> that's really good. You know, so there's, there's bad parts about being raised in a church like that. You can go through the motions kind of easily. But let me tell you the really good part is that I learned since I was a little Christian kid that it does not matter how I feel. My pastor, my church culture didn't say, well, I really feel like God. No. No, what we specialized in was opening the book. There's the fact. That's what God says. My feelings are fickle. They're a roller coaster. So God has written down. He has verbally inspired and demanded that we preach what is true and what's a fact. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. That where I stand with God, where we stand with God, isn't based on how we feel today. <laughs> Our feelings might have to catch up, but it, it doesn't change the fact of what God has declared and said. Um, in a way, this part of my sermon is the Dwight Schrute moments of the message. Any office fans here today? Dwight Schrute, remember, he's kind of the nerdy guy who has <laughs> very little emotions. What does he always say? False. Fact. <laughs> All right, so if Dwight Schrute was here, he would say, oh, you don't feel forgiven. <laughs> False. <laughs> Here's the fact. You are. I love the fact that God's pardon isn't waiting for your permission. His compassion is not waiting for your consent. And your salvation isn't waiting for your heart's stamp of approval. It just is. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Because <laughs> it's true. Sometimes we speak from the heart, but... Sometimes we've got to speak to the heart. And today we're going to preach to our hearts and tell it what's true, even if we don't feel it yet. And here's what you can say. Let me give you three passages. First John chapter one says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You don't even need the pastor to explain that one, do you? You don't have to speak Greek. All sin. So what, what's your sin? I, I don't know, but I know it's covered by that. <laughs> I know we have a bunch of asterisks on our cross, but there's no asterisk after the cross. Like, oh, forgiven, except. <laughs> no, it, it just is. So if it was ugly, if there are consequences, if you regret it, fine. But this passage is true. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. It cleanses you. It makes you washed and holy and right and beautiful and delightful and pleasing. God loves his people. It doesn't put up with his people. He loves his people. And here's the reason why. Fact. Or how about the apostle Paul? He said in Romans chapter eight, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of you know, Romans seven, the chapter before this is where Paul pours out his heart. I, I do such stupid stuff. He says, I, I keep doing it. I hate it. I know that it's wrong. I'm a wretched person, Paul says, but he doesn't end with his feelings. He, he jumps in Romans 8 verse 1, but therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no hell. There's no separation from the face of my father. There's no distance from his delight. It, it just is. It, in fact, in Paul's original Greek language, when Paul wanted to say something emphatically, he'd put the word first. Do you know what the first word in Greek is of Romans 8 verse 1? No. 
No condemnation. None of it. Like, not even close to being condemned. If you are in Jesus, if you trust in his cross, that's not even a thought that crosses God's mind. There is no condemnation. Or here's my favorite from the Old Testament. Lamentations 3 says, I remember my affliction and my wandering. The bitterness and the gall. Like, he, he can't forget his sin. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness. I love that. You you wake up in the morning and you still remember what happened. It's bitter. You regret it. But guess what woke up with you? God's compassion. It never hits the snooze bar. It's fresh. It's faithful. Because of his great love, we're not consumed. And so you might be as bad as Paul. You might have as much regret as Jeremiah. But here's the fact. You are forgiven. You are. And your heart can argue with me as much as it wants, but I'm right. <laughs> this time. And that's why today we can go in peace. That's what my little girl taught me six years ago. Uh, I told a few of you the story. My daughter Brooklyn is in sixth grade now, but when she was in kindergarten, she had this cute little bob haircut. She sat. Uh, in her car seat in my town and country minivan. And I remember a conversation she and I had about forgiveness. Uh, I asked her, for some reason I can't remember, Brooklyn, do you think your daddy is a good guy or a bad guy? And she said this fast, a bad guy. (laughs) Well, guess who's not going to McDonald's, right? (laughs) I said, "Well, well, why do you think daddy's a bad guy? She said, because, because daddy does sins. Like, that's bad grammar, but you're right about that. I, I do sin. So then I put her to the test. I said, so Brooklyn, you're saying God doesn't love your daddy? No, God loves daddy. God loves bad people, she says. Really? Well, Brooklyn, what if I did something really bad? Like really, 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 really bad. Daddy, he'd forgive you. And she smiled at me in the rearview mirror. And she stared out the van window. End of conversation. Hmm. Grown-ups, don't let life complicate this. God is love. Period. Grace is yours. Period. Forgiveness is free period. Have the faith of a child and trust that when Jesus died on the cross, he knew about it already. And that's why he was there. And make the daily choice, not just to let their stone alone, but to do the same with your own. Now, before I say amen, I want to tell you two really quick things. The first one's a picture. This whole sermon is the reason why we really, really, really at our church want you to have roots. 
Some people try to do this thing with God, their faith, completely disconnected from a church, pastor, or community. It's a bad idea, and here's why. Because our feelings, even our feelings about God, are often lies in disguise. There are times we don't feel what's true. But when we have roots, when we gather like we're doing today, someone gets to open up the Bible and preach truth to you. And when you do life in a group, when you have a group of Christian friends, you can tell them about what makes you feel guilty and they can listen and show you compassion. And then they can tell you, I know that's how you feel, but let me tell you what he says. And when every day you're growing in the word, you do a devotion, a Bible study, you listen to Christian radio, you, you podcast, you whatever. You don't have to wait to see what comes out of your heart. Instead, God can direct his truth into it. So I want to encourage a bunch of you, if you're struggling with forgiveness, get, get rooted, take a step, check the box on the card. We would love to immerse your soul in what's true and good, the forgiveness and grace of God. Second and finally, there's one thing I need you to do today. I need you to pick up that stone. The one that you grabbed when you came into church. And I want you to stare at that stone. And I want you to think about the sin that you find hardest to forgive. It might be something you're still struggling with. It might be something from forever ago. Now I need you to grab your pen. And I need you to draw a cross in that stubborn stone. Let's go take some work. Going to have to apply some pressure. got it? If you're struggling with forgiving yourself, I want you to bring the stone home. I want you to set it somewhere where you can see it. And when the devil reminds you that you're not worthy of God's love, you can say what Martin Luther once said. You're right. You're right. But Jesus... And day by day, you can resist the feeling and with the Spirit's help, you can let even your own stone alone. Maybe you can't forget, but all of us can forgive because God has already declared by the blood of his only son that we are forgiven. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. If there was no Bible, we would all have to guess what you're like. And our best guesses would come out of our own hearts, which are so quickly deceived. So I thank you today, Holy Spirit, that you inspired passage after passage after passage to tell us what's true and what's good and what's beautiful and powerful and what's right. Father, I ask you to send your spirit to many of the hearts that are here today and and many more that are listening online. 
I pray that you could convince us of what the devil hopes we never believe is true. That we are not just forgiven, we are the objects of your affection and your delight. That you're not dragging the past into this present moment. When we talk to you in Jesus' name, you are so happy to hear the sound of our voice. You love us. God, help us to believe that today. I pray, Heavenly Father, um, that in your mercy, you would bless us as a church community. I pray that we could speak what's true to one another. That when confessions come, we could respond with what our hearts find so difficult to believe. That still, still, you've given yourself away and still we're loved. I thank you, God, for everything you've done during this series. I, I pray it bears fruit, not just this week, but for many years to come. And we pray this confidently because we know and believe in who we are. Just what you've said, the forgiven, beloved children of God. We pray it all in his name and all of God's people said, amen.